So some of us are, you know, super gregarious, outgoing people. Um, and you, you love to just roll into a room and get to know everybody. Uh, and that's your thing. You, and it's effortless. Um, so, for example, uh, Hannah Reese, soon to be wed to Ryan Gates, uh, which is awesome. Uh, Hannah, her dad is James Reese, who uh, was at this church many, for many years. Uh, they, they moved to Texas. Uh, but one of the things that blew my mind about James is that he, it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter. He just walks up to you and starts talking to you. And it's just like the easiest thing in the world for him. He becomes everyone's friend in like 14 seconds. And pretty soon he's telling you about conspiracy theories. And you're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Slow down. Uh, Minus the conspiracy theories, Hannah has the same gift. She's more laid back uh, like her mom, uh, but she still, she just rolls in. It's like within 14 seconds. So, man, Hannah's the best person ever. You're like, wow, how did that even happen? Um, so for, for Hannah and, and, and for her father, getting to know people isn't that difficult. For the rest of us, we, um, we have like a sort of a, a, a tactic that we've developed over the years. And what we do is when we meet somebody, we get the name, da-da-da-da-da, how you doing, blah, blah, blah. And then we go straight to, what do you do? Right? That's the first thing you say. What do you do? And so if it's a young person, it's like, well, what grade are you in? You know, what are you studying? Um, What, you know, do you like school? As soon as you're, you know, I mean, I guess now, maybe in their 30s, you can start talking about a job. So you say... Hey, you're, you, you look like you might be employed. Uh, what is it that you do? Right? What do you do? And uh, for, for ladies, it's, um, hey, uh, do you have kids? Do you stay home? Do you work part-time, full-time? Right? But what it is is we make the assumption, and all of us kind of feel this way, that our part of our identity is bound up with, it's, it's connected to what we do. Uh, and it doesn't necessarily have to be a job, because uh, some people, you ask them what they do, and they're like, I don't really want to talk about it because I hate it. You know? Uh, in fact, but what I'm, what I'm interested in, is, and then they go to the stuff that they think actually matters, right? But it's still something that they're doing. It's what gives life, you know, purpose, direction, meaning, those types of things. And so it becomes very closely uh, connected to who we think we are as people, now, we're continuing a series called You Say. We've been talking about identity. And so the first week, we discovered that in Scripture, identity is tied 100%. The core of identity, primary identity, is being a child of God. It's knowing God is Father. We talked about how you do that. That's through faith and through nothing else. Uh, but then, last week, we saw that there's more to our identity than just being a child of God. Last week, we saw that part of our identity is being citizens of heaven. That uh, we're not Americans first, we're heavenly citizens first. Uh, and, and so our interests in this world are, we, are, do we treat the church like a colony from heaven? And our concerns are, are church first, the church centric, because those are the concerns of heaven. And so we said, hey, you know, we've got, a, got an election coming up here in three weeks, whatever it is. Uh, when you're voting, the primary thing you should be thinking about is what's going to advance or defend the interests of the church, because you're a citizen of heaven first, an American and a Californian and an Orange Countyan and a San Juan Capistranian, Irvinian, Mission Viejan, second, third, fourth, right? Well, this week we're going to see that God also has something to say about your work. And so let's uh, look at the text 
together. This is First Peter 2. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people, in order that you may proclaim the mighty acts of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Now, when you're reading that text, you didn't hear entrepreneur, plumber, stay-at-home mom, electrician, machinist, educator. You didn't hear any of those things. And yet I suggest that this text right here talks about your identity as a worker, as a doer for Jesus. So let's like take a closer look. Uh, let's start um, by checking out that, uh, that little bit at the end there. It's a, it's a very interesting thing that Peter says, because uh, he's actually quoting the Old Testament. He says, um, once you were not a people, now you're God's people. Once you had not received mercy, now you have received mercy. He's quoting from Hosea. Uh, Peter and all the New Testament authors, they knew the, the Bible way better than we do. Even those of us who are really, really good at the Bible, they were way better. They, they, they soaked it in. They, 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 they breathed it. They drank it. They ate it. They, they slept it. Everything that they did was saturated by uh, what we think of as the Old Testament or the Hebrew Bible. And this text uh, re- references Hosea 2. And I just want to show it to you. Um, this is God speaking through the, the prophet talking about Israel, saying, I will sow him for myself in the land. I will have compassion on no compassion. I will say not to not my people, you are my people. And Israel will say, you are my God. The Hebrew there is kind of fun. Uh, the English translation here tries to pick it up. Um, it's, it's kind of like, like using the word for, for mercy or, or uh, compassion as like a name. And, 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 and so it, name, it nameizes uh, the word for uh, mercy or compassion and then adds a no to it. So God's, God says he's looking at these people and he's like, you're merciless. You're compassionless. Okay? And it could be that they haven't received compassion or mercy, but it could also be that they're just not very merciful or compassionate. And God's saying, well, that's who you are, right? But I'm going to show mercy to you. I'm going to show compassion to you. And right now, you're not my people. You're, 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 you're not my peopleist. Right? You're, you're people-less. You're, you're without a, a my in your peoplehood. Well, I'm going to choose you. I'm going to change that. I'm going to say, you are my people. And then you're going to respond and say, you're my God. Well, this, uh, this was something from the Old Testament. And, and it did apply to Israel. But you can see in the New Testament how much more it does. Because even the Jewish people would say, well, God, we're, we're sort of your people, right? You chose us. So to say that we're not your people, maybe we just haven't, you know, maybe there's something wrong with our relationship, but we're, aren't we your people? But that's not something the Gentiles can say. They're not, the Gentiles are not God's chosen people. And so when Peter hears this text, he's like, wow, this is really applying now in a, in a more, in a fresh and wild way. But it brings up a question. Because two weeks ago, we said that to have life, you must look and live. You must believe, Right? But here, it looks as if God is choosing you. See, two weeks ago, we said, oh, if you want to know God, it's on you. You choose God, right? I believe you, Jesus. I trust you. 
It's kind of on me. It's your, it's your thing. I do this, right? But here it looks like that actually God's the one doing the choosing. God's looking out and being like, Coast Bible Church, I choose you. Well, which is it? Which is it? Is it you choosing God or God choosing you? This matters because if you choose God, then aren't you kind of, you're like, you're welcome, God. There were a lot of things I could have done. I went with you. You're welcome. Whereas, if God's choosing you, then maybe God has some input into what you ought to be doing. This is my dog, Piper. She's, uh, I don't know if you can see her. I mean, it's kind of a dark picture there, but the one you can see, that's my head about 30 pounds ago uh, <laughs> on the pillow. And the dog is like, just snuggled in. She's 11. Uh, she's three and a half pounds. Uh, she, she is fiercely loyal. Wonderful, wonderful dog. Uh, unless you're under the age of like 15, in which case she hates you. Um, <laughs> But she, uh, the, the thing about Piper, though, is that, is that she, she doesn't love just anybody, okay? So if you ever come to our house, uh, the first thing that will happen is you walk in the door, and you're going, da, 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 and you're going to find that you start, you're, you're bleeding out from your ankle. And you're like, oh, huh. hope there's no arteries down there. Oh, my God. <laughs> a lot of bite there for a dog your size. Um, and, and, and this is going to continue. It will not stop. Until you reach down and pick up this three and a half pound little mauler and you just kind of... And if you do that for like 35 to 40 seconds, she's yours. She will give you her heart. She will say, yes, yes, you're you're in the pack. You're one of us. She'll choose you. This is where the obligatory, this is why we don't have cats, because cats are awful, and they don't do anything like that. This is obligatory. Those of you who own cats, you're nuts. Uh, little vicious creatures running around your house. Uh, where Piper, you can earn her love. With a cat, it's like every day. It's like, if you don't feed that thing, she's going to... Piper is like yours for life. You just got to snuggle her one time. So who... But, but at the same time, though, so Piper will choose you, and she chose me as the alpha dog, um, she has chosen my mom as her favorite human. Uh, she's chosen uh, Aaron to be the one that she uh, watches TV with. Um, she's chosen our kids as the ones that she will not interact with unless they're asleep, <laughs> in which case she'll nuzzle them. And yet, is she really the chooser? Because see, I remember little confession here. Piper is not our natural child. She, she's adopted. Um, she came into the family as a way to put off having children uh, a long time ago. Uh, and, and, and so I was willing to pay an exorbitant price. We, we paid $900 for this dog like a decade ago. It was outrageous. Everyone thought we were nuts, but it was worth it. Uh, but but we paid nine hundred dollars, so we go to the the underground, unlicensed, uh, you know, dog breeders. It's like super shady in the San Fernando Valley, and uh, 
And we walked in, and we, they, we'd seen the pictures on the internet. Um, the, the site has been closed. They've been carted off to wherever they came from. But at the time, they were still open. Ryan Gates, you can get the dog people as a game warden. That is one thing you can. Is that what you do? You investigate fake dog breeders? No, he's like, no, we do. We do real work. Okay. Leave that to somebody else. Okay. Uh, so we went there, and uh, we had a dog that we'd seen on the internet. We were going to choose that one. But then Piper, uh, because she was smaller and scared of the rest of the dogs, went up and, uh, and, and kind of was like near Aaron. Uh, she was getting away from the other dogs. And Aaron saw her, and she fell in love. And she was like, this is the one. Who chose Who? I think we're the ones who chose Piper, but in a sense, you know, there was something about her that attracted us in a way. So I don't know. I don't know who chose who. I just know that we've chosen each other. And I know that um, our love is going to be loyal and fierce. And if you had to push me on it, I'd say, well, I guess we sort of initiated because we were the ones who like ultimately grabbed her. Um, but at the same time, I don't deny that she, it was her decision to be like, even though you're not my real mom, I'm still going to love you. And the first thing you note, she says, uh, yeah, we choose God, yes, but God chooses us uh, too. And, and this is, it's, it's, a, it's a mystery. And if you really want to, if, if this is the sort of thing that keeps you up at night, you want to know who chose who first and do we really have free will, um, I'm happy to have that conversation with you. Um, the danger is that theologians start going down that hole and then they never get out of it. Uh, and and they, they don't know how to live anymore because they're trying to figure out who chose who first. Uh, so if that bothers you, come talk to me. Uh, but at the, at the bottom line, we can know that in some real way, God chooses us and we choose God. Now this matters because it does mean that in some way God chose us. God has some authority over us. God didn't just... Oh, here you are. No, God had a plan and a purpose. God knew Coast Bible Church from the beginning of time. God saw Coast Bible Church and wanted Coast Bible Church. And so God has some say in how we operate. And what has he chosen us for? Well, you go right back to the text, the very beginning. You are a chosen race, Peter says. Uh, really here, he's, I mean, you could say a chosen clan. Uh, the Greek there will, would work that way. And it might be that what Peter's thinking of is that, is that now the church is sort of like one of the lost tribes of Israel, kind of grafted in to, uh, to Israel's place as the chosen people of God. I don't want to spend too much time on that because we did talk about citizenship in heaven uh, last week. But he says, you're a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people, a, a possession of God. This is all Old, Old Testament language. This is all language of, of Israel. I mean, this is Israel, right? Israel is the chosen people, the holy nation, God's own possession. Those words get used all the time in the Old Testament. But Peter says, no, it's you too. Well, how does that work? And what does that mean? Well, the, the real key, I think, to this text is to think about priests. And this is hard for us because we don't have priests. Even Roman Catholic priests and Orthodox priests are nothing like the priests of the ancient world, right? So what did priests of the ancient world do? Well, they had tons and tons of jobs, okay? Uh, so one thing that they did is at the temple, they would, you know, kill the, the animals and, and, and cook them and serve them, right, for the sacrifices. That's one thing priests did. 
Uh, another thing priests did is that they were sort of like the, um, the scholars. They, they were in every village and town of Israel, and they would live in the village and the town of Israel, and they would be the ones that kind of taught the law and taught the, the Bible of the day to the people of the village. So they were scholars. Um, and they were also, they were also the, the people who could tell you right from wrong, right? Like you weren't sure what to do, you go talk to the priest. And the priest would know what God's like and knows what you should do. Priests, uh, they had a whole bunch of different stuff. They could tell you how to clean things and how to make them pure. Uh, they could, they did, uh, they ran worship services, right? So they would, they would lead the chanting and they, they would bang the drums and, and all of the wildness of, of ancient Hebrew worship and how loud and crazy it was. Uh, they were the ones who instigated that. All in all, priests are kind of like my buddy Jared. Um, I have a picture here, not of him, because he's very private, and he does not want anyone to know who he is. It's very, he's a very odd person. I've known him for about 25 years. Um, one of my all-time best friends. And uh, he is a lawyer. And lawyers in general are not as bad as journalists, but close. <laughs> it's true. I, 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 up until maybe a couple of years ago, I would have said that lawyers are worse than journalists. But the journalists have really, these last couple of years, I really, I've been like, oh, man, oh, jeez, oh, gosh, all right. Yeah, uh, but lawyers—they—they um, they, yeah, they tend to be horrible. Uh, but also, if you're a lawyer, we're so glad you're here. <laughs> One of the things that we need—we need more lawyers in this church. Do you know how crazy the world's getting? We need to find some Christian lawyers to show up because, oh my gosh, like it's—it's it's nuts out there. So if you have any, you know, maybe some more, you know, Christian leaning, maybe are willing to be converted and lawyers, let me know. I'll go in there, try and get them. I'm, I'm ready. Uh, but Jared is not like that. Jared is one of the most moral people I've ever met. And over the years, uh, you know, we were friends long before he ever became a lawyer. But um, over the years, I've found that anytime there's anything I need to know with respect to the law, with respect to life and, 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 and justice, and a lot of times money uh, and the way that it's handled... In, all those things, I can literally just text him. And he will be like, oh, dude, let me just look at it and I'll take care of it for you, right? Because Jared knows the ins and outs of the law. He knows, he, even though his specialty is corporate law, he, he's a smart guy, so he can learn anything. And he can do it quickly. And so he, he can figure out what's out there in the law and he can give me good, decent, uh, non, non-binding advice uh, he always tells us me that like there's like some thing that he says he's like well I'm not actually advising you to do this but if I were you know da 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 then I, he's very very safe that way uh, but but he explains it all he lets me know. basically he's my representative to the world anything I'm worried about with respect to the government and law and all this he he is the he's the the front line in between me and disaster. And over the years, he saved me thousands of dollars. He's, um, gosh, he's one of the reasons that we've been able to figure out how to, to do church in this very odd time and be as protected as possible. He is just, he's, he's, a, he's a priest. 
He's a priest. He, he's, he's in my corner, come what may, and by extension, your corner as well. And, and, and he will figure out what's what, and he will mediate and represent us to the world. Priests did exactly the same thing. They knew God and they represented God to the world. The world was like, ah, oh, I'm not sure how to worship. I'm not sure how to do this. I'm not sure if this is right. The priests were the ones who said, I got you. I got you. I will represent God to you. Anything you need with respect to God, I got it. That's the next thing in your note sheets. Like uh, Israel and her priests, God has chosen us, the church, to represent him to the world. Did you notice this uh, in the text? Uh, it's, it's the church and the world. We're the royal priesthood that's in between God and the world. God's interests, God's worries, God's concerns, God's loves, God's desires, all those things come through us to the world. We're his lawyer. To what end? And more importantly, how do we do this job? Lawyering is fabulously complex. Bob, you're a great lawyer. You are awesome. You're not like the other lawyers. You're better than them. And I love you. Just FYI. (laughs) What do we do? How do we represent God to the world? How do we stand in between? Well, look at the text. This is a a beautiful verse. In order that you, church, not you, Jim, Sally, Kareem, whoever, you, the church, may proclaim the mighty acts of him who calls you out of darkness into his marvelous light. It's a striking image. In fact, um, the word there for marvelous, if we've got any uh, Dungeons and Dragons fans here, uh, the word that we get thaumaturgy, like miracle working or wonder working, which is something you can do in a lot of role playing games. Uh, that's this word, and so it almost has a cast of um, uh, thamastos. It's like uh, it's wondrous, it's marvelous, it's uh, it's almost miraculous um, in the way that it 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 just this light blows all the darkness away. And then proclaim is, is almost, again, my two favorite professions. It's almost a journalist word. It's, uh, it's like the, the, the town crier, the kid who's out there being like, you know, hear ye, hear ye, here's the news. Um, and what are we telling? The mighty acts of God in Acts S, not just about Jesus. One of our things that we think a lot of times we think that where our job is is to tell everyone that Jesus forgave their sins. Yes, that's part of it. But there's so many mighty acts of God. So many things that God has done. So many miraculous, wild, wondrous acts of light that have broken through the darkness and shown us what reality really is. I had my mind blown on Friday. It was one of the most... I can't even... I have to share it with you because it's been on... This is, what is this? Someone tell me what this is. Picture, yeah. A loofah, yes. Okay, uh, Doug, the fact that you're a man and you know that word (laughs) tells you just how far this culture has failed. (laughs) 
He's got two. It's okay. I knew what it was too. Uh, I, I, I'm, I'm joking. I'm not picking on you, Doug. Every man here knows. I, I'm just telling you, like, it's duvet. All the men here know what a duvet is. That's ridiculous. Like, that is not the way the world should be. But it is. That's fine. You don't know what a loofah is. You did. He knew. Bill, Bill knew what a loofah every, every man knows what a loofah is. Okay, so uh, if you were to ask me before Friday what the definition of a loofah is, I would tell you a loofah is a very uh, girly sponge that <laughs> hangs in my shower. And I look at it, and it looks neat. I've never, I can imagine how you might work it, but I've never touched it. Uh, but, yeah, and, and, and if you were to ask me where it came from, I'd be like, well, some smart person was like, hey, you know what girls want is not just a sponge, but a foofy sponge. And so they used the word foofy, and they kind of worked on that, and they came up with loofah, right? <laughs> That's how loofahs were invented. So on Friday, brace yourselves. I found out where loofahs come from. Doug already knows. You're the best. You're the best. Okay, here it is. Don't ruin it for everyone else who's normal. All right. Picture. Show me the picture of the loofah. There. What? Are, what? It turns out that loofahs are actually a vegetable that is grown from a tree and then after it's harvested and then it's like there's, you know, it's dried out and it's worked on and it's massaged or whatever, but it turns into a sponge that's super floofy. Come on. Come on, that's unbelievable. Okay, besides Doug, who else knew that? Really? Oh my gosh. All right, well, good job to you all. Uh, that, I, the thing was, so go, before this, Lindsay Ballinger told me about this. Lindsay and Nate were telling me about this. Uh, and before this happened, I thought that the universe was a mostly dark and horrible place. <laughs> Devoid of purpose and meaning. Uh, the universe is, you know, you're here, you die, and that's it. And then I heard the good news of the loofah. And I realize that the world we live in is amazing. It is absolutely unbelievable. The world we live in is a place of incredible beauty, a place of incredible, wild variety. And if God could make a loofah, then every single one of us has incredible beauty, incredible purpose, incredibly wild, exciting. God's, God's, doing, God's out there and he's doing incredible things. You make a loofah, holy moly, what are you going to do with human beings? And this is exactly what Peter's saying. He's like, I want you to, I want you to look at the, and of course, loofah is silly, I get it, but Man, the, the, the creation isn't, and the exodus from Israel isn't, and the way that God has worked in our lives in this church isn't. Those are absolutely mind-boggling, wonderful, powerful, amazing things. And our job, the way we represent, the way we lawyer for God is we tell the world, we say to the world, hey, look, you think that this place is dark and pointless. You think that all there is is the satisfaction of your desires until the day you die and everything ends. You think this is a cosmic accident 
And the best that you can do is find something that sort of makes you happy for a little while. You live in darkness. Let me share with you this marvelous, wondrous light. When I was a kid, um, I remember there were times when uh, my, the lights would be off in my room and um, I would be sitting, laying in bed and, and looking at, uh, at the shadows of the things in my room and I would begin to convince myself a la Monsters, Inc., that there was some evil presence in the room with me, right? You know, and I would get pretty scared. And then I'd flip on the light. And suddenly I'd realize, no, it's just my room. That's just my Lego, you know, pirate ship. That's just my Sega Genesis, you know? There's nothing... Nothing scary here. There's nothing violent or terrible or evil here. This place is good, safe. The revelation of Jesus Christ our Lord, his crucifixion and resurrection, has once and for all said that God is in the business of taking, yes, the world is broken. Yes, it is in need of redemption. Yes, it is not fixed yet. But the revelation of Jesus Christ's death and resurrection shows that God is in the business and will not quit until that brokenness is fixed. Until that which has not been redeemed is. Until that which is absolutely out of whack and and violent and scary and destructive is, is converted and redeemed. And we've all seen it in one way or another. If you're here, chances are you've experienced some aspect of the mighty acts of God. You've experienced some kind of forgiveness, some kind of redemption, some kind of call to holiness, some kind of healing, some kind of repair. You've seen it. Maybe it's been a while, but it's been a part of your life. And if you're with the community, you see it over and over. Well, here's the deal. Your job is not to sell widgets for Acme. That pays the bills. Your job is to turn on the light for the universe to see the mighty acts of God, to see them pulled as you have been from the darkness into the light. Turn on the light. You may be hearing, uh, for those of you who've been in church for a long time, you may be hearing evangelize. That's what you're saying, right, Tom? Kind of. Um, but maybe not in the sense that you're used to, okay? If, if your idea of evangelism is having a conversation with someone being like, can I introduce you to my personal Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? Okay, that's probably not going to work in today's culture. It might. And if you've got the guts, go for it. But really turning on the light for the world is something that we do individually and corporately. And it doesn't have to be this awkward, weird thing. It just has to be sharing what's true about the universe, about your life, about your experience. If you want to know what turning on the light is, number one, the most basic way you can turn on the light for the world is share your story. Share your story. Tell people who you are. And if Jesus isn't a part of that story, you're telling it wrong. You're doing a bad job. 
it's interesting. We live in a, in a time which is actually very similar to the first century where now personal witness and personal experience has come to be one of the, the most convincing and um, trusted ways of learning about the world, right? And so we, put, we place a high, a high premium on people telling their stories and their experiences, there are people in your life who need to hear your story. And it doesn't have to be the part about when you were being abused and how you got through that. It can be. But it can also be about the part where you are right now, where you're like, I don't know where God's taking me. And it's scary. But he's helped me in the past, and I think he's going to carry me through this time too. The second thing, this is um, so important now. Uh, and it's becoming more important by the day. Uh, live not by lies. I, I don't do book plugs very often, but uh, there's a book called Live Not By Lies uh, by a, um, an Orthodox uh, journalist named uh, Rod Dreher, uh, where he, talked, he basically interviews a whole bunch of uh, people from the Eastern Bloc who survived uh, the Cold War, Christians, and learns their stories and shares them because he's convinced that uh, Christianity today is being pushed to the sides and Christians who hold to traditional faith are going to be marginalized in the society in a way that we're unprepared for. And he says one of the most important things that Christians have to be able to do is not to accept the lies of the culture and to stand for the truth. And that's really hard. Because for a lot of us, yeah, that's going to come into conflict with our jobs, with your diversity training, um, with your concern about being labeled a bigot. Um, and then every person's going to have a certain level of, you know, I can do this and I can't do that uh, because of the cost to me and my family. But start thinking about it now and recognize that you are called to live by the truth of who Jesus Christ is, the truth of the gospel the way the world actually is, not the way it's painted by pagans and neo-pagans. And just by doing that, I guarantee you, there's going to be people who are like, what? How can that person say that out loud in this culture? And you're going to be like, I got a king that's higher than your governor, your CEO, or whoever. And that is going to be one of the most powerful witnesses to the gospel of Jesus Christ in the coming decades. Number three. Focus on the good, the true, and the beautiful. We, um... <laughs> Netflix, man, what a... What a company. Think about the stuff we watch. Think about it. We are a part of a culture that is increasingly fascinated by the perverse, by the dark, by the vile. How much do the people around you crave Somebody who's obsessed with what's good and what's true and what's beautiful.
thing is, the light that we've been drawn into is the true light. It's the world as it really is and as it really will be. Redeemed, refreshed, transformed, vibrant, thriving, almost miraculously beautiful. And we, the small people, have been chosen, elected, to carry that message, to tell our story, to refuse to live by lies, and to share the good, the true, and the beautiful to a world that is dying. Let's pray. Gracious God and Father, we, we ask you that we um, could be people who live into this royal priesthood that you've called us to, this, this heavenly nation, this special chosen clan. We pray, God, that we can be your representatives on this earth, those who are looking out for your interests, pushing and advancing your causes. telling your story and our story, refusing to live by lies and showering a dark and broken place with what is good and true and beautiful in and through our Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray, amen.